0: back against the protesters. Shame, shame on them. Every single one of them.
1: How healthcare workers and their patients really feel about those so-called freedom rallies. Mask mandate confusion.
2: It's a little bit like asking us to follow the speed limit but not
3: posting any signs.
1: The missing piece to the public health order. Plus new COVID rules for the North. And finding Callie.
3: Until we got this call and I knew
1: this, it's her. It has to be her. The long search for a dog missing in a stolen car and how an officer was injured while saving her.
4: You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6.
1: Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. If the people who took part in Wednesday's rallies against COVID-19 vaccines and mandates thought they would generate support for their cause, it would appear that has backfired big time. As Jordan Armstrong reports, the condemnation has been swift, blunt, and from all corners.
5: Thursday at Vancouver General Hospital, another day of the grind for doctors and nurses trying to keep unvaccinated COVID patients alive. And they could soon have some new admissions.
6: It's good to be here with my fellow patriots and people that uh, they see what's going on here. Like, you're not crazy. We're glad that you're here. Tell the truth, you fucking liar. Anger. The people about ivermectin you're
5: Conspiracy theories and a distrust of science all on display Wednesday.
7: We know what you guys are sending out there, and it's bullshit. The real doctors and nurses are being silenced.
5: We checked. Vinay Dingra is a very real doctor. In fact, he's one of the top doctors at VGH.
6: Our main focus, honestly, was to continue the operational activity that we did. And I think as a healthcare professional, if I can continue to provide the care that I do, the rest is not as,
5: just noise. While the hospital is downplaying the interference, for patients and their families, it was just more stress They didn't need.
0: Shame on them, every single one of them, because they didn't for one minute imagine what it would have been like to be my husband.
5: The Granthams had traveled from Powell River so Bill could be at VGH for a life-altering stem cell procedure. He's been in and out of hospital for a year and a half.
0: He couldn't believe the disrespect again to you know what we were going through to what the health care workers have done for us.
5: She feels the protest missed more than a beat. It failed to acknowledge reality, which is that nearly 77% of eligible British Columbians are fully vaccinated. The crowd had its say, so we'll give the last word to Mayor.
0: Please don't disrupt the health well-being and recovery of patients in the hospital and don't disrespect our healthcare workers.
5: Jordan Armstrong, Global News.
1: All right, let's take a look now at today's COVID-19 numbers. We have 801 new cases, bringing our active case total to 5,931, with 199 people in hospital, 116 of them now in ICU. There have been six more deaths, including one person in their 40s. And when it comes to vaccinations, nearly 77% of those age 12 and older are now fully immunized. Keith Balbrey joins us now with more. And Keith, last night you talked about the uptick in COVID cases in the north and the possibility mm. of new restrictions. Well, today, B.C. health officials announced an extension of public health orders in the uh, northern health region.
8: Yeah, and they're not two onerous, uh, as a matter of fact. And uh, again, to attack uh, the outbreak of the virus in social gatherings, we don't want people gathering in crowds. So here's what Dr. Bonnie Henry announced today in the wake of 755 cases in the last two weeks and the uh, 755 cases in the last two weeks. Now, uh, household gatherings limited to an extra five people or one family per household. A maximum of 50 people at outdoor gatherings like barbecues and such. Uh, new safety plans are going to be required for outdoor and indoor events. So hockey games and such will, can, can proceed, but you have to have safety plans. And this comes in the wake the fact that, as I reported last night, more than 20 communities have vaccination rates of below 75. In fact, most of those have vaccination rates of low, lower than 70%. Towns like, I'll just read a few of them, Chetwin, Smithers, Houston, uh, Cornell Rural, Vanderhoof, Dawson Creek, Fort St. John, Fort Nelson, Prince George, Rural, Burns Lake, Uh, such, uh, again, number of people, there are about 45,000 people eligible to get vaccinated, have yet to get the shot. Special emphasis next week, Sophie, on uh, school kids age 12 to 17. The vaccination rate there, just 53% compared to almost 75% for the rest of the population. There will be vaccines offered in schools, in Northern Health and other places as well, well, with low vaccination rates starting next week. An aggressive push to get people in in that area vaccinated. Their numbers are right now far too low to be protected.
1: See if people take them up on those uh, offers of vaccines. All right, thanks for that, Keith. Well, it might surprise you to know that while the latest COVID-19 mask mandate came into effect more than a week ago, Metro Vancouver Transit Police have not been enforcing it until now. As Richard Zussman explains, they say it's because of a lack of information from the government, something other sectors say they also struggle with. Get on the bus, wear your mask.
9: I think it's a great idea and everybody
10: should do it. For the get
11: to the people. But the problem is in the details. For the past nine days, the requirement has been only a verbal order, not a written one, meaning transit police in Metro Vancouver couldn't ticket rule breakers.
2: Unfortunately, we didn't have the same enforcement options as we have had in the past.
11: Thursday, the order finally posted, but only after Translink management put in place an interim measure allowing for the right to ticket people who fail to mask up. You're going on public transit, wear a mask. And I'm so happy to say that the vast, vast
2: majority of people are wearing masks.
11: Dr. Bonnie Henry has issued verbal orders before, and they lead to confusion. The Alliance of Beverage Licensees dealing with hundreds of emails from members about how to crack down on those refusing to wear a mask.
2: Without seeing the actual written order, it's a little bit like asking us to follow a speed limit but not posting any signs, right? So there's a bit of confusion in there.
11: There was also some hope from condo and apartment residents that they would be included in the mandate. They're not. Instead, it's only recommended to wear a mask in common areas like elevators and swimming pools.
12: It is um, a matter of of respect, and it is something that we encourage, we uh, support people doing. Strata corporations
7: can adopt a rule. Um, Strata Council can pass it. It's a simple majority vote, and the rule can automatically set that in all common areas, Everyone must wear a mask.
11: The lack of clarity on masks, also unsettling as vaccine passport details, are still unknown. The vaccine cards come into effect September 13th.
2: If the first time that a British Columbian sees their vac- or shows their vaccine passport to anybody uh, is the first same time that that frontline service worker sees it, that's a problem.
11: All those details are set to come next Tuesday. Richard Sussman, Global News, Victoria.
1: Well, there are no exemptions planned for that vaccine passport when it comes into effect September 13th, as Richard said, across B.C. But the number of groups calling for one keeps growing. Ted Chernecki has more.
4: This proof of vaccine passport might be more complicated than first thought. Already, special interest groups are lining up seeking an exemption, like a very small percentage of B.C.'s disabled.
3: We believe that the safety of the population is very, very important. And so when we were issuing our statement regarding the vaccine passport, it was really important that we clarified that anyone who can get the vaccine should get the vaccine. It's really uh, for people who have tried to get the vaccine and cannot for medical reasons.
4: Well other medical experts have gone on record to say there's almost no circumstance where someone with a disability cannot get vaccinated safely. But that's not the experience some of BC's disabled are getting.
3: I think there is a disconnect between the healthcare sector and the BC government when it comes to this vaccine passport policy because there's possibly an issue that doctors don't necessarily want to take liability if they happen to be wrong about the safety of the COVID-19 vaccine for their specific patients with these specific medical conditions.
4: For those who've tried and were denied a vaccine, that lack of a COVID passport will only add to their already significant challenges. An even bigger group seeking a passport exemption are the homeless and recent migrants. Everyone will need to show identification and a medical service plan number to get the passport. Advocates for these people say many don't have BCID nor the technology to go online and get it.
5: We're asking the government, through this uh, media release, to sit down with us, to talk to us, uh, to let us know how we can support this community. Adds a lot of stress to everyone who doesn't have a BCID or a BC Services card. It adds a lot of stress, and we're
10: marginalizing them even more. Do you guys have your vaccine cards on you? Yes.
4: She says there has to be another way, not for those who refuse to get vaccinated, but for those who have, but just can't prove it. Global News.
1: Now, another rally is causing traffic tie-ups in Vancouver at this hour. Take a look at this live shot. A few dozen people blocking traffic at the intersection of Broadway and Camby. The group Extinction Rebellion organized this rally in solidarity with the protesters over at Ferry Creek on Vancouver Island, calling for a halt to old growth logging. Demonstrators marched from City Hall down to the intersection and have been blocking traffic there for about an hour now. It's not clear on how long they plan to stay. And as you can see, Vancouver police are watching over things. So we will keep an eye on that protest as well. Well, Vancouver police say they have witnesses to a sexual assault last week. They even have a suspect. And now they're trying to find the victim. The assault happened at Pacific Center Mall. Police say witnesses saw a man grope a woman last Friday near the escalator by American Eagle. Security called 911 and followed the suspect out of the mall. Police arrested him a short time later on a bus several blocks away. Now police need to speak to the victim as investigators build their case. There may be more.
3: So in general, we this is why reporting these types of incidents is so important. A lot of, you know, speaking as a woman myself, sometimes you you kind of brush this stuff off and we think, oh, whatever. But but that's not right and that's not how we, we should be. We should hold
1: these people accountable because the actions that this man in particular did is, is wrong. Anyone with information is asked to call VPD investigators at 604-717-4034. Burnaby RCMP have arrested a 15-year-old boy after a series of unprovoked attacks on women this week. The most serious attack happened Monday in the area of Edmond Street and Canada Way. The suspect wrestled a 25-year-old woman to the ground. The two didn't know each other. Similar attacks happened Saturday in New Westminster and Wednesday again in the Edmonds area. Police arrested the 15-year-old yesterday afternoon. He remains in custody, facing charges of sexual assault under the Youth Criminal Justice Act. The boy cannot be identified. Police are investigating an early morning crash in West Vancouver that killed two people. A section of Cypress Bowl Road was closed for hours as investigators combed the scene of the deadly collision. Police say the crash happened just before 4 a.m. and three vehicles were later seen being towed away from the crash site. So far, there's no word on what led up to the collision.
13: In terms of the witnesses, we believe that there are multiple vehicles who were, were traveling with the vehicle that did um, end up rolling over. Uh, and those are people that we're speaking to now. As you can imagine, they're, they're quite distraught, um, trying to process what has happened. They've lost a friend, lost a loved one, perhaps.
14: Fear
1: for family left behind in Afghanistan.
14: Every day they text me, Shakila, help me. They will, they will kill me. I can't do anything. A woman all too familiar with Taliban
1: violence pleads for help from the Canadian government. That's next on the news hour. <laughs> Ida arrives in New York, the historic flooding across the US Northeast later. Also ahead diving for garbage, how a BC diver's collection of castoffs is about to become art, coming up on the News Hour. Right now, though, a woman who fled to Canada as a refugee after her husband shot her in the face in Afghanistan says she's getting heartbreaking appeals for help from other women in that country. Global's Romina Dea has more on her fears for them and for her own family.
10: 23 reconstructive surgeries and counting. Shakila Zareen just 17 when she was shot in the face by the man she was forced to marry.
14: My ex-husband shot me by gun. He's working with Taliban. And my family is is still in Afghanistan. And now I am afraid.
10: Zareen, now 25, not scared of the men who tried to kill her, but she's petrified of their next move.
14: You see my body. I'm not smiling. I lost my smile. Um, I don't want to cry again. I'm strong, but right now I'm not strong. <laughs>
10: Zareen, an internationally known activist, came to Canada with her mother and sister in 2018. She says her fight for women's rights in Afghanistan and her criticism of the Taliban put a target on the backs of her two other sisters and three brothers, one of whom was a soldier with the now defunct Afghan National Army, the family
14: in hiding
10: in her homeland.
14: Now I am so scared to... The Taliban is coming, kill them.
10: Zareen says she's been receiving threatening text messages from
14: her former brother-in-law who's sending pictures of his armed men. Every time I check my phone and uh in my mind, oh my uh somebody's text me. I kill your brother or sister. Uh I can't sleep in the night time. Zareen's siblings, just some of the thousands of Afghans,
10: desperate to flee since the Taliban's rapid rise to power last month. All foreign forces, including Canada and the U.S., gone after a 20-year war. The Taliban claims it has changed, but Zareen says it's not true. She tells us she's been bombarded with messages by women and girls who want the world to know they're living in hell. Every day they attack me, Shakila, help me. They will, they will kill me. Zareen credits Justin Trudeau with saving her life. She is now begging him to give safe passage to her siblings and so many other vulnerable Afghans who've been left behind.
14: I just want to say help my families and especially girls because it's hard time for Afghan women in Afghanistan.
1: Ramina Deya, Global News. Coming up, the Sheepdogs show will go on.
8: We'll hopefully keep them away
2: with the loud guitars.
1: The concert set for Stanley Park, despite coyote concerns. And later, a message from Search and Rescue, why they won't charge you if they have to save your life.
3: Steady in both directions over here tonight at the Portman Bridge after a very busy afternoon commute. Still pockets of volume through Burnaby and Coquitlam on the approach. Through Kermat Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermak, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermak Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Portman Bridge.
1: Well, the number of coyote attacks in Stanley Park is forcing some event organizers to rethink their plans. The park board is closing the park every night at 7 to cut down on the attacks. But as Kamil Karamali reports, a planned concert tomorrow night is going ahead with new ways to get people in and out safely.
12: Put your hands together for the dogs. <laughs> A little ironic, a band called the Sheepdogs are in a Friday night fight for the spotlight against their furry counterparts, the Coyotes. Hoping that
2: people do feel comfortable and safe and and will come to the show because it's going to be a real special time.
12: The sheepdogs are set to hit the stage at the Malkin Bowl Friday evening. It'll be the first big event to be allowed after dark since the park board announced Stanley Park will be closed overnight from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. due to dozens of coyote attacks. Our, Our team on the ground has been, you know, chatting with the the park officials. At least 2,000 people are expected to be in attendance, including ticket holder Elise Anderson.
0: I mean, it's definitely something I've uh, thought about, but I wouldn't say I'm I'm concerned. There's going to be a lot of people, you know.
12: Events promoter Live Nation said it's been in contact with the Vancouver Park Board for months leading up to this event and is now telling ticket holders to head to the Malkin Bowl before 7 p.m. and then leave immediately after the show. Attendees will only be able to access the Malcolm Bowl through this one road. The park board still allows access to the park for some reasons after dark, like restaurant reservations and visiting the marina. There have been a total of 45 attacks since December, including three Tuesday. One of the victims, a four-year-old boy. At nearby businesses, patience is growing thin. It is a uh, difficult
13: situation that, um, given the risk to the general public, just needs to be handled uh, effectively and quickly. We want to get the park board to send a strong signal to the provincial government that we want this to end. We want the coyotes removed from the park immediately.
12: The Ministry of Forests said it's ramping up its response to the coyotes, including taking lethal action as soon as possible. I got the feeling that I just can't lose. Setting up a tense scene for a Friday night concert. Kamal Karmali, Global News.
1: Concern is growing for California bighorn sheep near Grand Forks. The population being decimated by the blue-tongue virus. And now there are calls to stop a limited-entry hunt to keep the sheep from disappearing altogether. Darian Mitassa Fung has the details and a warning. Some of the images in this story may be disturbing.
15: Unfortunately we've had a cataclysmic die-off. It's the blue tongue
7: and we've lost one hell of a lot of the sheep. California bighorn sheep in the Grand Forks region has taken a massive hit to their population over the last 10 days according to local residents.
5: Realize the extent of the die off it was a lightning bolt
7: to the guts when you think that the first sheep sheep transplant took place february 1984 bear and barry senior who are hunting tour guides in the area say they've been finding dead bighorn sheep littered around the hills of grand forks they've been working closely with biologists who have told them the extremely hot summer has caused the blue tongue disease to wreak havoc on the bighorn sheep population i was extremely emotional you know, these sheep have been my whole life, pretty much. You know, I was 11 years old. We went through the transplant. Blue Tongue is an infectious, non-contagious vector-borne viral disease that affects wild and domestic ruminants. that is transmitted by insects, particularly biting midges or flies. In highly susceptible sheep, morbidity can be as high as 100%. Mortality averages from 2 to 30%, but can be as high as 70%. Despite blue-tongue killing most of the sheep population in the area, the government did not shut down the hunting season for the bighorn sheep. It's not a big priority in government anymore. Wildlife is just kind of disappearing all over the province. The hunting guides are asking the government for another transplant of bighorn sheep as they depend on hunters for their livelihood. The father and son duo did cancel their hunts this year due to the massive loss to the population. Darian Matassafong, Global News, Grand Forks.
1: A major milestone reached today against one of the province's most dangerous wildfires, the White Rock Lake Fire west of Vernon, is now being classified as being held. That means it is not expected to grow beyond its current boundaries, allowing people in the area to go home. And more good news tonight on the Income Epe Creek firefight. All evacuation alerts related to that fire have now been rescinded. It was the last week of July that people started to be cleared from their properties and put on alert because of the fire burning between Oliver and De Soyuz. It consumed more than 20,000 hectares. But good progress is now being made and the west side of the fire has now been deemed inactive. Still to come, solving the case of the stolen car with a beloved family pet inside. It's like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Where where would somebody dump a stolen vehicle? How social media and determination helped find Callie the dog. But first after a break, the staffing shortage stalling the COVID recovery for so many businesses.
3: Still a bit busy out here on some of the major routes, and this is northbound 91A to the Queensboro Bridge, backed up past house on the approach. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Queensboro Bridge.
1: Four leaders are facing off tonight in the first televised debate of the federal election. The French debate airs in Quebec on TVA, one of the most watched networks. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau will be joined by Conservatives Aaron O'Toole and the NDP's Jagmeet Singh and Yves-Francois Blanchet from the Bloc. The Green Party's Annamie enemy- uh Anime Paul and the People's Party, People's Party, make that Maxime Bernier were not invited. The TVA debate allows more face to face encounters between two leaders at a time, allowing for longer exchanges. The English debate airs next Thursday evening. Well, you have probably noticed a lot of help wanted signs posted in storefronts, at restaurants and online these days. Despite high unemployment, some industries are having trouble hiring enough workers. It's an employment paradox. Global Ann Gaviola explores what's behind the labor shortage. Mont-Tremblant, the popular
16: tourist destination, looks a little different this year. Many restaurants and stores are shuttered due to a labour shortage. To serve tourists, they've had to think outside the box. Bring in some
3: food trucks, which we never did before. Uh, we put some signage that is really uh, live signage almost because we change among uh, that information every day to make sure that it reflects reality.
16: Now, the resort was grappling with labor shortages before COVID, but the pandemic has made the situation much worse. Immigration is at a standstill. Many workers are choosing government support or moving on from the service industry. They may have child care issues and safety concerns, and as students return to school in the fall and are unavailable for service jobs, hiring is expected to become even more of a challenge, so Tromblon is going to be recruiting internationally.
3: They go to France, they go to Middle East, they go to uh, Latin America. And we have great stories to tell people who are happy to embrace these jobs.
16: Labour shortages are being felt more acutely in some regions and some industries, especially healthcare, care, tech and hospitality.
6: What that falls back to is immigration and both in terms of temporary foreign workers uh, and uh, you know immigration numbers overall
17: have been reduced.
16: The tight labor market has created wage inflation in high-demand industries. Wages for new hires rose 7% compared to pre-COVID levels. In some fields, it's a job seekers market. A KPMG survey this week shows nearly 70% of employers are struggling to find qualified tech workers.
12: The innovation economy is now 12% of our GDP and is growing three to six times faster than any other segment of our GDP. So we definitely need new skills uh, to participate in this area.
16: A high unemployment rate along with a skills gap and labour shortages are all symptoms of how work has changed during the pandemic. The next federal government needs to keep a close eye on all these factors or risk hurting the tenuous recovery. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto.
1: In Health Matters tonight, at the beginning of the pandemic, we made some noise at 7 o'clock each evening in support of our hard-working health care professionals. Tonight, a new symbol of gratitude. Vancouver City Hall will light up in pink at 7 p.m. to show support and give thanks to our health care heroes. And in Victoria, the legislature will also be awash in pink for everything our health care workers have done and continue to do during the COVID-19 pandemic in the face of so many challenges. That'll be a great sight to see. Up next, turning trash into art.
9: Maybe can you picture making like a fish out of sunglasses with the different color lenses?
1: We'll dive into one man's quest to raise awareness about underwater garbage. But first after the break, Ida's not done yet. The rising death toll as flooding cripples parts of the northeastern U.S. We have some breaking news to tell you about. West Vancouver police have now arrested a 22 year old Vancouver man in connection with that crash that claimed two lives. We told you about it earlier on the news hour. Police now say speed and alcohol likely contributed to the collision on Cypress Bowl Road early this morning, which claimed the lives of two 20 year old Surrey men. West Vancouver police add the suspect may face charges related to criminal negligence causing death and bodily harm. Investigation continues. Well, the BC Search and Rescue Association is reminding everyone that no one is ever charged for a search, a search and rescue of an individual, and they've released a video to explain why.
17: We do not charge for search and rescue. I say again, we do not charge for search and rescue.
1: The group says on average their members carry out 1,700 search and rescues across B.C. every year. And questions are constantly asked about whether those who get lost should be slapped for the cost of the search to find them or if you should buy insurance to cover that cost. But that has never been the case here in B.C. And the group says if there is any hesitation to call for help, that misunderstanding will result in significant injury or even worse.
17: The British Columbia Search and Rescue Association and the search and rescue groups unanimously oppose charging for search and rescue because 1. There are no demonstrated improvements to operations or infrastructure. 2. Such a system will cause increased mortality rates, more complicated operations, and increased pressures and risks for search and rescue volunteers. There is little to no financial benefit to the search and rescue community by charging for search and rescue. There is no evidence whatsoever that a charge for rescue system will increase responsible recreation.
1: There are more than 3,000 volunteers across 79 ground search and rescue groups in B.C., Remnants of Hurricane Ida moved through the northeastern U.S., bringing historic rain and major flooding. Global's Reggie Cicchini is in Philadelphia, where water rescues are ongoing and the death toll is rising.
2: The scenes are harrowing, playing out across much of the U.S. northeast. First responders using boats to rescue stranded residents isolated in the wake of Hurricane Ida.
8: I'm left with nothing. We're just right
2: now. Across Pennsylvania, rivers have spilled their banks. Philadelphia's main artery crested at a historic level at just under five meters and could rise at least another three by early Friday.
13: A lot of Pennsylvanians will be dealing with very hard emotions
2: today. From New Orleans to New York, Hurricane Ida carved a 2,100-kilometer path of destruction.
8: Oh, my God, it's poor person's flowing.
2: Being called a once-in-500-year event, a month's worth of rain led to rapid urban flooding through New York City and its suburbs, inundating thousands of lower-level apartments and the largest subway system in North America, bringing the city that never sleeps to a standstill.
18: We're still uncovering the true depth of the loss, the human loss,
2: Ida entered New York after dealing a devastating blow to New Jersey. Maybe five minutes, and then just everything was decimated. In Mullica Hill, the damage is gut-wrenching after a tornado ripped through late Wednesday, destroying several homes. And while there were no injuries, across the region, at least a dozen people lost their lives, many falling victim to rising waters.
11: And I want to express my heartfelt thanks to all
2: the first responders. The president has released federal support for all impacted states. He'll tour the destruction in Louisiana on Friday, where it could take weeks to get the lights back on, and months, if not years, to rebuild entire communities lost in the strongest storm of the season. And even though the waters are receding, the storm has re-upped the conversation over climate change, something the president on Thursday called one of the greatest challenges of our lifetime. There are still states of emergency in place up and down the U.S. East Coast, and while the destruction is visible to the naked eye, it could take weeks, if not months, to understand the true depth of the damage. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Philadelphia.
1: So much weather news these days. All right, let's bring in senior meteorologist Christy Gordon with a look at our forecast. And uh, Christy, this summer has really been one for the record books for us.
18: Yes, absolutely. Sophie, you know, uh, one of our weather watchers calculated that what they saw in Central Park in one hour was more than what we've seen uh, in Vancouver since February. Here's a quick look at the stats. This is looking at meteorological summer. So that's June, July and August. In terms of temperature, we had six regions hit the first. So meaning the uh, warmest on record, Kelowna at 3.8 degrees above average. So an anomaly of 3.8 degrees. Vancouver was close behind as a second uh, warmest on record and there were a number of others as well but what's interesting is the uh, actual rainfall not no areas across BC reached first or second but third in Kelowna and a lot of this is because of the moisture that we saw early in June and then through the month of August as well really the driest period was from late June sort of the last two weeks of June and then through the month of July nonetheless these are well below average and when we look at the long range or the long term in terms of drought, we still have significant drought all across southern BC, especially Vancouver Island and the uh, South Okanagan region. Now, the forest fire danger rating is still very high across the south coast. There was a fire here in North Van near Highway 3, sorry, Highway 1 and uh, Mountain Highway. Uh, Be really careful out there, really diligent. Despite the fact we've had a bit of a transition into what we call sort of more fall like weather, we certainly still have dry conditions. Now, tomorrow increasing cloud, but most of the moisture will be across the north part of Vancouver Island until Saturday that's when we can expect some moisture here across the South Coast so tomorrow dry we will wake up to sunshine patchy fog for the interior regions the bulk of the moisture really across the north and central coast and then the northern part of Vancouver Island but for our region just a bit of cloud cover later tomorrow it's Saturday that we're certainly expecting the wet weather Sunday as well but we will round out our long weekend with a little bit of sunshine and I'll leave you with tonight's central windows weather window which was from this morning in the Peachland area beautiful after what they've been contending with throughout the summer having a few days like this is pretty nice so back Mm -hmm. to you
1: looks so peaceful thank you christy well, this province, as you can see in that picture, is known as beautiful BC for very good reason. Our mountains, oceans and lakes draw worldwide attention. But keeping our waters pristine isn't easy. Many volunteer divers put in a lot of hours pulling out trash. And now one of them has come up with an innovative way to turn those castoffs into something more creative. Here's Jay Durant.
6: Henry Wang's been pulling out trash from the bottom of BC lakes and oceans for the past eight years and now he's come up with a great idea. There's a the pile. A new project for BC artists oh, to, to design something out of all of this garbage. That's the second tent
9: I found inside this lake. We have everything from fish hooks to lead to uh, beer cans to boat paddles. Um, we have cigarette lighters.
6: It's an Iron Chef-style event starting in November. The artists will have no idea what they'll be getting. Could be a bucket of golf balls or a pile of lost sunglasses.
9: Uh, So these are all trash sunglasses. Some of them are actually very expensive.
6: These are items
10: that uh, haven't been seen for quite a while. It's almost like underwater trash, treasure hunting. So it's quite unique.
9: Every pollutant that goes in is causing
6: problems for somebody somewhere. Unfortunately, there's no shortage of material coming from below the surface and the event is designed to help raise awareness about the problem. Henry's team has pulled out more beer cans than anything else, close to 45,000 from BC waters since 2013. And he knows exactly what he'll find now in certain locations. If I go to Cat Lake and Squamish, I know that's beer cans,
9: sunglasses and the odd cell phone because everybody's hanging on their little floaties, they're having their drinks, their hands are full of sunscreen.
6: The trash art will go on display next spring in communities stretching from North Vancouver to Pemberton. Henry's not taking part, he's just the supplier, but he seems to have a pretty good idea of what might work. Maybe can you picture
9: making like a fish out of sunglasses with the different color lenses where the scales, e- e- either a fancy dragon or maybe Oko Pogo.
6: Those could all be big hits. Who knew cleaning up our waters could spark such creativity? Jay Durant, Global News.
1: Can't wait to see what the artists come up with. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca.
15: I agree with you. Who throws beer cans in a lake?
1: And why, why would you throw anything in a lake? It's good, As you good said, it's, it's not your garbage
15: it's can. It's not a garbage can. It's not a garbage can.
1: Do better. Do better.
15: Uh, UBC grad Dakota Shepley has joined the Seattle Seahawks offensive line for the coming season.
13: I think I bring a lot to the table as far as the way the offense is run here.
15: His road from a Thunderbird to a Seahawk with some acting work on the side coming up.
1: And later, the all-out effort to track down a missing dog and the happy ending to the story. We're the same when i'm wearing heels we were just discussing that
15: yeah it's good to know
1: okay squire uh what's happening?
15: okay i'll start with the uh, final round of qualifying for next year's men's world cup of soccer has begun for canada it's an 18 14 game tournament top three make the world cup for sure fourth place team gets a backdoor chance through a worldwide playoff and a big key to these tournaments is this don't lose your home games. And tonight, Alfonso Davies and Canada are home in Toronto to Honduras. And Davies has a chance. Davies, there he goes. No, stop. This isn't good. Tejon Buchanan gets called for a foul, and that means a penalty kick for Honduras. And Alexander Lopez unfortunately doesn't miss. So 1-0 after halftime for Honduras. But then Canada would get a penalty kick. After Jonathan David is stopped, on a great play. This would be called a penalty, and John Herdman's team goes to the spot. They give it to Kyle Lahren, and he goes right down the middle to tie at 1-1 late in the second half now, 1-1 Canada and Honduras. Speaking of Canada, Vosik Pospisil today being watched by Brooklyn Nets head coach Steve Nash. Second round action at the U.S. Open against Ilya Ivashka. Now remember yesterday, or not yesterday, but in his first round match, Pospisil lost the first two sets and rallied to win. He lost the first two sets again kind of rallied in the third set, at least he forced a uh, tie break, but this time there would be no comeback for Vashik Pospisil. He lost to Avashka 6-3, 6-4, 7-6, so Voshek Pospisil is out of the US Open after two rounds. Bianca Andrescu, of course, a former US Open champ, taking on Lauren Davis of the US. This is a great rally at the net, Andreescu winning the point, took the first set six to four. Nice work. Uh, that's a play from both. She'd win this in straight sets. Do strange things. Andrescu is on to the third round at the U.S. Open. Yeah,
6: sweet. 19 champion moves in.
15: All right, it did not take long after tight end Luke Wilson retired that the Seattle Seahawks found another Canadian to play with them, picking up former UBC offensive lineman Dakota Shepley on waivers after San Francisco released him. And Shepley is very glad it was Seattle. That wanted him.
13: Really happy to, to remain on the west coast, be in the Pacific Northwest, really close to Vancouver where I went to school. Coming out of UBC, Dakota
15: Shepley was given a lot of attention by CFL teams, so much so that Saskatchewan drafted him in the first round. But the NFL noticed him as well, and before spending 2019 with the Rough Riders, he did sign with the New York Jets, which was too soon for him.
13: When I got signed to the Jets out of college uh, in Canada, it was a huge jump. And in hindsight, probably one I was un- underprepared for. Uh, going to the CFL was a, was a great step for me. It taught me how to be a pro. It, it was a good ramp up in speed as far as how, how fast the game is played. And uh, it was definitely something that I, I, I needed. I learned from it, and it got me to where I am now.
15: When the CFL shut down last year, Shepley tried his hand at the NFL again, signing with the 49ers, and they moved him from offensive guard to the much more difficult position of center, the guy who snaps the ball in every play, and that's not an easy
13: thing to do. I can't count how many times I've sailed the ball or skipped it off the ground. It was a challenge, but I think I overcame it, and showed it in the preseason, and that's why I'm here. I mean, uh, I figured it out. We were surprised that he was available as we watched, the, watched him. Our
5: guys did a you know, really good uh, preseason evaluation of him. And then as it came down to last night, he was really one of our favorite guys. And shoot, if he didn't, he didn't show up for us. So we were very fortunate to get him.
15: And Seattle got more than just a football player. Shepley is an occasional actor. He was Omega Red in Deadpool 2. And he got into the profession just by being in the right place at the right time when he played at UBC.
13: I was sitting in my locker room and uh, like a, f- a film crew came through and they were taking pictures of my locker room with, like, for a set. And I was like, oh, are you guys filming a movie? They're like, yeah. Want to be in it? I was like, yeah, sure. And it ended up being a Hallmark movie. And I was just an, I was just an extra. My grandma loved that. I was a Hallmark, in a Hallmark film.
15: Well, that's something uh, for your grandmother to love. Okay. Uh, Tour championship from Atlanta. Watch this. Brooks Kepka's long birdie putt. There's a butterfly helping it get in. It's kind of like curling, provides a little bit of wind behind it. Corey Connors with a short birdie here. Only Canadian in the field of 30. He is tied for 17. Patrick Cantley, who won last week in a playoff for the day against Bryson DeChambeau on the 12th birdie putt He is a leader by two shots over john ron there you go
1: why thank you very much you're welcome up next a stolen vehicle case that turned into so much more how social media mobilized to help find a beloved family pet stay with us it's being described as a successful end to a needle in a haystack search. A husky cross taken inside a stolen Subaru has been reunited with her very happy family. Neetu Garcha has the story of the dog lover who cracked the case. These cuts are actually from a career highlight day for transit police officer Amanda
3: Steed who helped rescue and reunite a missing dog with its owner. I was working the night that she went missing. Uh, I remember searching for hours to try and find this vehicle it's like trying to find a needle in a haystack on the afternoon of august 26 coquitlam rcmp got a report of a vehicle stolen from the burquitlam area with cali an 11 year old husky cross inside i've been thinking about cali for days and so were many others, as her family pleaded for Callie's return, a social media effort to find her spread right across B.C. Sightings from Revelstoke, Surrey, all over the province. And with I don't think without the help of the social media, we never would have found her. On Wednesday, residents of this apartment building on Emerson Street called police after seeing the stolen vehicle with Callie inside in their underground parkade. We get there, we see Callie inside, and the only thing that goes through my mind is we need to get her out of here. After breaking the window to let her out, Constable Steed saw a bag of dog food inside the vehicle was ripped open, and another telltale sign, Callie was okay. There was a lot of people, the alarm was going off, so it was noisy. Um, but I did get a tail wagged, so I knew that she was uh, happy. She was happy to see humans and happy to be out. She was able to, to eat, so that's that's the only way that she survived. As police continue their investigation into the theft, Callie's owner's son posting on Facebook with gratitude to everyone who helped ensure this happy ending. It was the best outcome imaginable, and those stick with you for life. Best night of my life. Nithu Garcha, Global
1: News. Good job, everyone. Callie's back <laughs> all right uh final word on the weather christy
18: thanks so so we'll wake up to sunshine tomorrow morning but in the afternoon you can expect an increasing cloud and certainly a cooler day compared to the summer like weather we saw today and the first part of the weekend definitely looking a little fall like with showers in the forecast but monday not too bad back to you
1: looks like back to school weather to me just a few days left
15: are you going back yeah. to school no well,
1: not me but oh. the kids oh okay sorry. <laughs> that's it for us <laughs> have a good night everyone